Welcome to This Complex Life, a podcast where we explore the intricacies of well-being and relationships. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis, an accredited mental health social worker, family therapist, speaker and mental health educator. Coming to you from the lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people, join me as we demystify mental health, break down stigma and navigate life's messiness and complexities one conversation at a time. And just a little reminder, information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical or other professional advice, diagnosis or treatment. This podcast is not a substitute for professional mental health treatment and advice. If you or someone you know requires support, please contact a mental health professional in your area. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Complex Life. Today I have with me Patch. Hi, Patch. G'day. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, my, my name is Patch Callahan. I work as a clinical psychologist at the moment only in, in private practice, so they're predominantly seeing individual clients for face-to-face and telehealth work. Do a bit of couples work as well. That's my that's my main thing during the week. Awesome. And then on the weekends. <laughs> well, I have a long weekend every week. That's perhaps, you know, maybe that's a little bit aligned to what we're going to be chatting about today. That's uh, you know, a choice that I make in my life to to have uh, try and balance out my weekends and my work week. Awesome. And one of the reasons I thought of you for this particular topic was you've got a really great knack for metaphors. And after a recent, you know, the use of a cacti in a therapy session, I was really intrigued. <laughs> and maybe we'll cactus is not mine. I, I must say it's. Uh... I've given you full credit for that. Maybe yeah. we'll explain that a little bit at the end. But one of the things that we have connected over is the use of ACT, so acceptance and commitment therapy. And I find that some of the clients I work with, or even friends and family, when I talk to them about values, they're like, I don't know what buying a. Or they go into therapy and their therapist will be like, okay, so what are your goals? Like, I don't know. It's like, okay, what do you value? I don't know. So I thought that would be a really great place to start. How do you, how can you explain the the importance of values in the context of ACT or even just broader counseling and psychology? Yeah, look, I think it can be helpful in the context of ACT because when we use this term values, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So when we when we talk about values in acceptance and commitment therapy, we're really talking about you know chosen life directions. These are instructing how we want to be and behave in our life. So a few elements to that is that you know that, that these are, are freely chosen things that we connect to that we that we choose that we name that we pursue in our lives you know it's very different when we might have a value that might come from our history perhaps or our our family of origin or religion or schooling we even know that you know it's a it's a big thing in in sort of organizational workplaces you know to have organizational values so when we look at it from a sort of particularly probably from any therapeutic stance or counseling stance, we are thinking about, you know, what is it that I choose to care about in my life, about how I want to behave, about what I want in my life. 
And how does how do you explain the difference to someone who is maybe engaging with therapy for the first time or just listening to this, the difference between a value and a goal? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, a very simple way of differentiating them is that a goal is something that can be achieved or you think about checking it off a list. We can put a goal on a list, right? but a value is sort of the direction. It's the reason why we might engage in a goal. You know, so you know, we could ask, you know, I'll, I'll ask you, Murray, do you want to say, you know, I want to go for a hike in the Grampians? Would that be a goal or a value? It would be a goal, but probably based on a value. Right. So we'd say, well, <laughs> because you can go out there this weekend and go for a hike in the Grampians. Yep. And you've achieved that thing. You come back on Monday and said, I did it. I did the thing. Why would you though? Why would you, why would you go out and do something like that? You can you can speak to your own experience here. Yeah, I think it would be either because I value nature or for you know clarity and fresh air or movement. Yeah. Or if I was going with a friend, it would be maybe to be supportive or connected. Yeah, great. So connection, support, you know, engagement with the natural world, a bit of sort of freedom in there to to move. They might all be underpinning that thing. But when you get home from that trip on Sunday night, do you stop caring about those things? No. So that's one way to sort of differentiate the two. The goals might be something we can achieve and check off a list, but we might also continue to have that life direction of those values even after we've done the goals. So we can get a bit too caught up at times in, in goal setting and, and neglect values. And I think if we really take, you know, values from a personally chosen angle that, you know, our goals can fall into place when we know what we care about, then the goals will make more sense. And our capacity to move towards our goals just, you know, makes more sense and is, and is easier to do. The, you know, you'd name metaphors earlier, a common metaphor used in this area is like, is our values being like a compass? You know, the compass gives us direction. And when we, you know, the compass is, is pointing, you know, northeast towards, you know, human connection, then, you know, we go out, have a kind of deeper, more meaningful conversation with somebody who we care about. Well, at the end of that conversation, you know, the, the compass is still pointing northeast. We Just because we arrived at our destination doesn't mean that the compass stops giving us direction. So. Mm. You know, those goals are like getting to that next point and checking something off the list. And the value is, you know, what, why, why are we doing that? What's that in the service of? As you're, as you're talking, it makes me think that this could actually be quite confronting to some people. Cause if you slow down to figure out what you value, you then have to, or they don't have to, but you can choose to then, if you want to live that way, you might need to make some changes to your life or routine or, or something yeah. And it can depend on what it is. So something like kindness, for example, I work a lot with young adults and they'll be studying something and they'll, they'll focus on that end, on that graduation. They'll be like, I'm studying nursing or healthcare and I, because I care. And they forget that even in their fast food job, even in retail, even in whatever else they're doing, they can still show care and kindness as a value while they're working towards that bigger goal. So some things don't require huge changes, but if you value authenticity and vulnerability and you're terrified of showing that vulnerability, that's going mm. to be quite confronting, mm. right? 
Yeah, and I think it's a really nice point, Marie, because sometimes when we're setting those goals, we set those goals so far and so high. You know, I think often you know people can relate to the idea of you know valuing freedom and what does freedom look like? Well, it looks like you know not working and not studying and having like twelve months and <laughs> all this money to like pack a backpack and go off, you know, wandering on a one-way ticket around the globe. Yeah, sure, that's freedom, right? But you know, also you know, getting on your bike and choosing which way you ride your bike to work is freedom as well. You know, choosing what music that you put on the stereo is freedom as well. You know, showing up and being the person you want to be when you've got difficult stuff going on in your inside world, that's Mm. freedom too. And so, you know, what are all of those little ways in which we can live a value life, I think is potentially more impactful than having those big, long-sided kind of goals aligned to values is that really showing up you know i think there there are a number of ways we can approach values and that is to you know we can establish something that we care about and and kind of generate a a goal from that that's aligned to that it might be you know as you named earlier a value kind of connection to the natural world and freedom and supporting friends. And so I'm going to organize to go on a hike with a, a friend of mine who I know is having a rough time. I'm going to go out and spend a couple of days in the bush together. But that's, you know, that's always setting goals in line with our values. We can also move about in our day, not necessarily setting goals, but another way of living our values is to choose how we show up moment to moment. You know, as I walk through the door when I get home or as I kind of go in to pick the kids up from school, you know, what is it in that moment that I find important? How do I want to show up to that moment? So it's not necessarily setting a goal in the service of that value, but it is trying to be mindful of choosing how we're showing up moment Mm -hmm. to moment throughout our day. So where does someone start defining their values and how specific do you need to be? So if it's something just like I value family, like, like, do you break it down more or is it like, how, like I used, I have a range of different tools and techniques that I use, but I'd be curious to hear, like, how do you get someone who's maybe it's their first time in therapy or, you know, someone there asks you what you do for work at the pub and you're like, oh God, do I tell them? You know, and they're like, well, how do I even do no. like, Where do I even, where do you start? Where where would you get someone, encourage someone to begin? Your kind of statement about, you know, I value families is a really good one. It's something we bump into a lot, I think, in, in the counselling room. And that is that, you know, I'm not rigid about this, but one sort of school of thinking is that, for example, when you say I care about family, is that family is kind of an area of your life, a domain of your life. And you've got this kind of common breakdown of domains into things like our leisure and our personal health and family and relationships, work, education. Uh, and those things, you know, I think absolutely start there. You say, you know, you identify that family is really important to me. We say, let's, you know, that is, that's great. That's great. You know, this kind of values question from, perhaps an act perspective might then go on to ask, given that that thing is important to you or that area of your life is really important to you, how do you want to engage with it? You know, what feels like a kind of meaningful way to engage with that? What feels like you kind of yearn for or long for in that, in that. So we then might get into starting to 
talk to things that might help us to inform our behavior and what we do. So we might say, okay, there's a family dinner on on the weekend. Now, if I just say family is really important to me, when I go to that family dinner, family is important to me, but that statement alone or connecting to that idea of family being important alone doesn't necessarily give me guidance on what to do or how to show up to that meal. So we kind of then go and ask that extra question of, well, within that area of your life, what feels really important to you? So we might say, well, kind of vulnerability feels really important and, and, you know, and, and kind of reliability or dependability that feels really important in my family unit. And so, all right, that starts to guide me, you know, maybe after lunch when we're all sitting around having a yarn, I might share that thing that's going on in my life with my brother or my mother or whoever it might be. So connecting a little bit deeper to specific kind of ideas that inform behavior. And again, this is where we come back to that definition, that, that values we are hoping will inform our behavior and how we act in the world. So family, yep, family is really important to me, but actually these are the specific things that feel really important. And that can change as well. You know, like it might feel that, you know, when I go to that family event on the weekend, what really matters to me here now in this context might be different to what felt really important to me two months ago. As you're um, describing that, that was a really good example. It has me thinking about the work I often do with parents when they'll say, oh, you know, my kids are the most important thing or I value them. But then yeah, it is it is really breaking it down into, oh, and sometimes it can be really confronting. It's like, oh, you know, it's, I want to be a better parent than my parents or I want to do things different or I want them to feel this way. And then you start breaking it down. And, and that's really, really important to think, well, how it's that how am I showing up? Like I want them to feel loved. Okay. So is my behavior making them feel loved or am I absent or or absent-minded or distracted or not spending quality time? So it's really then using that maybe as a starting point and then funneling really down. Yep. Look, I think that's it. It's a, exactly what we want to do. We want to kind of get to some sort of tangible point with it it's sort of you know we're good at thinking and we're good at ideas us humans um, <laughs> so we really want something here that can be a, a real guide to to what we do um i think you asked uh, did you ask me a double barrel question before was that sort of a how, how might we sort of get into it as well or so did you ask about yeah. exercise yeah i think that well i guess the kind of a natural flow is that is once you identify a few uh, how many would you start with like would you give someone? Look, it's it's a, an interesting question. I don't really have a clean answer for that. I, you know, one of the exercises that perhaps any of your listeners could really go and do it as a self guided uh, exercise is to go and go and look up the the bullseye uh, question. I love that one. And it's got a great introduction and and guidance. It asks the necessary questions in there, so people could go in. You wouldn't need to be in counseling or therapy, you know, to go and do something like that. And it does touch on some of these different life domains and ask questions about what feels really important to us. And I'm just thinking of a, of a you know, client that I was working with earlier today who, who came in with, you know, a completed bullseye from over the week and, you know, had a truckload of values in there. Now, fantastic to have all those values on the page, but I guess the risk is that 
that perhaps that can get diluted a little bit if we're naming kind of 20 different values in the area of relationships, then, you know, it might be difficult for any of them to really resonate or to sort of feel embodied with it, with any of those values. So I think it's not a clean answer on how many, but certainly getting yourself down to a handful, you know, maybe five or six in a in an area of your life that you can kind of uh, hold on to and that they mean something to you, that each one of those kind of activates something in, in your body and, you know, connects to a kind of future that you want to have and you want to be engaged with. So it also means that it's a little bit more tangible when we kind of when we when we head out to the Grampians or when we go to that family event, you know, we can kind of hold on to a few things. I don't know about you, but I can't I can't hold on to much more than probably two things at a time. <laughs> Pretty basic in that sense. But we we might be able to grab onto two values and say, like, I really want to live these values in this, in this kind of context, in this moment. Mm. You when you think telling me about your client who had that many different questions about or values for the bullseye, it made me think, what if you've come from either a family that's quite overbearing or maybe, you know, significant trauma where you might not have had the opportunity to actually figure out what you want for yourself? How could someone kind of through maybe trial and error, like how would they start to kind of actually get a sense of what this feels like? Like if you're if you've mm. been really socially anxious, you might actually value connection, but the social anxiety overrides that. So how would you start to even maybe ex- explore what works for you like to even know? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fabulous question. Values that we get in touch with don't have to be things that we're doing brilliantly at, at the moment. That bullseye questionnaire kind of touches on this. So we, we do a little bit of a self-assessement. You know, these are things that I care about. And, you know, how am I, how am I going on that front? Like, how mm. am I doing when it comes to these and that sort of evaluation helps again to clarify a little bit more direction. You know, I think lots of people can feel stumped and stuck. People can actually find values work in itself very activating uh, because either they have absolutely no idea of what they want and what they choose and what they care about, or because they've never been allowed to mm. choose or want you know, that they haven't been valued enough by either it could come from their kind of family of origin or primary caregivers or other things that have happened in in one's life. That means that they just don't know what it's like to choose your life, to choose what you care about. You know, that we might have situations where uh, people are compliant to the needs and wishes and wants of others or of, as we've said, the sort of organizational school, religious values, any of these types of things. And so I think the first point is just acknowledging that that's a really normal experience for, you know, a lot of people to feel really stumped when it comes to this question of, you know, what do you, well, you're free to choose. Yeah. Mm. Ah, I don't want the freedom to choose. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to choose. Yeah. So I think just acknowledging that when we start to think about what sort of life do I want, what do I care about, what what do I kind of yearn for, it's 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 really normal to feel stuck. One of the cool things I think about values, and sometimes again, when I said earlier, I'm not too rigid about these things, but sometimes we can get this sense that, well, I need to find my top 10 values and, you know, put them up on the board and they're mm-hmm. my top 10. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to do, but 
but it can move around and we can experiment and we can we can kind of try things out. And that would be probably the thing that I would encourage most in people who maybe notice that beginning to think about or talk about values is anxiety provoking or it's a it's a, a scary thing or it feels like there's a lot of barriers in the way. I really value connection, the example that you gave, but you know, I get really anxious in in those social settings we can begin to sort of experiment with different ideas. So we could say, all right, like, you know, maybe I don't have the types of connections that I want. I don't know if I really value it, but, you know, I could spend some time checking that out. I could, you know, try before you buy. It could be for adventure or for freedom, or it could be for curiosity. You know, we might, they might be just sort of ideas initially. I don't know, curiosity sort of seems interesting, but let's give it a go. Like what is being curious look like what could i do in the service of of curiosity this week or today or now you know could i kind of you know open a random recipe and like go to the supermarket get the ingredients like cook something i've never even heard of before just for interest's sake you know? yeah and then we might and then and then we evaluate as we go you know we might sort of do you know what that was actually kind of cool i made my world a little bit bigger i felt a little bit excited and I felt like I learned something. So yeah, like kind of maybe this kind of curiosity things, something that I'm interested in. Mm. So, you know, I think people don't need to feel like there's a, there's a top 10 in there and you just got to find it, you know, and it's on you. I think holding this stuff lightly, like certainly like pursue values and work on them and set goals and change our behavior, but, you know, check them out, check different things out and, you know, work out for yourself what is workable for you. Because it's not the same for everyone, and it changes over time as well. You know, I've, I've I've got, you know, kids is probably the most obvious thing that that was a transition in my life where my values shifted in a big way. I didn't stop caring about the other things that I used to care about, but the shift in resources and focus and the things that I cared about broadened out and got bigger. You know, so when we move around to a different job or friendship group or life stage, like different things will matter to us at different times. So a bit of keeping a keeping a rolling eye on our values and checking it out from from time to time can be really helpful. As you were saying that, I guess the next question I wanted to ask is how do we live in alignment with that? But I kept thinking of, you know, I consume a lot of Brene Brown's, you know, podcasts and content mm. and she uses this thing of choosing courage over comfort. And for some mm. people, you know, if that was your value, to choose courage over comfort and to be vulnerable and be authentic. How would you use something like that to guide your day-to-day interactions? Like how how do you then bring the values alignment in? Yeah, I think one of the cautions here would be that knowing what you care about and pursuing it is not going to magically alleviate us from the difficult human experiences that will inevitably show up. And I, that would be my read on what Brene Brown is talking about, you know, courage over comfort. And that is the courage to step into discomfort that comes with, you know, living your life, you know, fully. And, you know, from an ACT perspective, this is very consistent as well in ACT, you know, that we, we can't really pursue value just on its own. No. Wouldn't that be nice though? <laughs> it would, you know. <laughs> sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it is easy. But often living our values is, is not easy. Often living our values does require 
courage or it does require a, a willingness to tolerate some you know tricky stuff in our inside world i think the example that you just gave of somebody who might value connection but you know notice that they they experience quite significant anxiety in social settings would be a great example now there might be some practical skills that might need to happen there you know how do we support this person to be able to just get mm. through the door and you know manage in that situation in the service of of connecting to other humans but we can't expect that they're going to because they care about connection that they're going to show up and the anxiety won't be there mm. So I think the ACT model, you know, is not certainly not the only model, but, you know, ACT offers these different components to the therapy alongside this sort of values and action piece is, is this sort of learning how to skillfully have the difficult stuff that inevitably shows up when we move towards things that are important to us. So that could be any internal experiences, it could be our thoughts and memories, it could be sensations if feelings emotions in the body it could be urges and so we want to find ways to be able to have that stuff as it is but be driven primarily by our pursuit in living our life in a way that's aligned to our values rather than living a life that is driven by trying to not have difficult or aversive stuff showing up in our experience and i think that's a really key point that you know most people rock up to therapy or counseling because they want to find a way to not have difficult stuff that they've got. And that's, you know, an obvious way that people would show up to doing the work. And it's a totally normal human experience to want to not have tricky stuff that you do have. Yeah, but in ACT, we take a slightly different approach. We kind of prioritize in a way we prioritize this values and this action, you know, moving towards what we want. A little bit over kind of symptom reduction in act we don't really even necessarily target like making you feel less anxious or be less depressed or you know try to not have self-criticisms for example interestingly you know what we often see in you know, if we're doing taking data and outcome measures you know we often see that as we get stronger kind of connecting to values and taking action on them with an ability to kind of step back a little bit from our experience. So those those unwanted experiences aren't, you know, dictating what we do. That often we see that symptom reduction that people are after anyway. It's just not like the number one goal in ACT. So, you know, I might be branching out there a little bit to sort of looking at ACT more broadly rather mm. than just values. But, you know, hopefully that gives a little bit of context. So we're not asking people to just kind of have you know, choose what you care about and launch yourself into it, expecting mm. that everything be hunky-dory. I mean, I can think of one example. I'm just, I've got my calendar up here on the second screen. Yeah. And, you know, for example, one of the things I've been trying to do more of is being, like showing up, so being reliable and consistent. And yeah. then there's like, okay, so many then strategies in order to live that. It's taking the time to put it in the diary and then there's, making sure not to overschedule. And then there's, you know, the, the the difficult bit like that discomfort is in often saying no to someone and sitting mm -hmm. with that disappointing someone else. So you can see that even something is practical, like there's a practical component and then like a distress tolerance of, you know, yeah, if I say yes to that dinner, but then I've also got this other thing booked, I can't go both. So I'm going to bust my value of being consistent and showing up. 
So I have to say no to start with, and that might then require me to work on setting boundaries on my assertiveness mm. skills or communication. Like I can, you can see how one, it's it's really linked to a practical task and a goal, but then a value. Like they are quite enmeshed when you start to kind of nut them out that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's the different types of approaches to values. You might have somebody like yourself who has a really kind of maybe full you know, very engaged, you know, meaningful life, but that can also cause issues too, right? Like if we are overcommitted and then that's when we need to come back to things like our, our you know, within self values of, of self-care and sometimes some values need to take priority in a particular moment over others. So you might value being kind of dependable and reliable, but you can't, there's not two of you. You can't be in two places at once and, you know, maybe actually your self-care values might indicate that you know one of the things I'm working on is is saying no and having some downtime at least for a half day on a weekend or something. And so in order to do that, I need to be willing to tolerate the discomfort that comes with like saying no to somebody and my old story coming up that I'm being a letdown or unreliable. And yeah, like you know, what? I'm willing to have that stuff in the service of taking good care of myself, being kind of caring and compassionate that I'm thinking about, you know, the long game in my well-being and actually, you know, prioritizing myself sometimes. Right. And is there is there a way we can like segue this somehow to include the story of the cactus and kind of leave people with that additional metaphor? <laughs> uh, yeah. How do we segue into the cactus? Sure. Well, look, the cactus metaphor is really about learning to hold things lightly. So with these values e- examples, you know, what you might be doing there is holding lightly your value of, you know, dependability and reliability in saying that, you know, like if I, if I cling down really tight on those values and I hold them kind of rigidly, then actually you become quite inflexible and, you know, have a physical practice in my room that I get, you know, get my clients to hold on to and just notice what it's like to hold on to a spiky thing, you know, really tightly. And that might be, it could be, you know, your anxiety. If we're going to a social event, valuing connection, but I have anxiety there and I hold on really tight to that anxiety. When we hold on really tight, you know, it, it sort of creates more pain and and rigidity. And now what would happen? Like if you're holding on quite firmly to a spiky cactus, what happens to your attention? Focuses on what hurts. Great. And what happens to your behavior? Like if I could watch you holding onto a cactus, what would I see? Wanting not to, or like wanting to let go or grimacing in pain or being distracted, like not being able to focus on anything else. I might get angry if I'm hurt. Yep. Right. So it's all wrapped up around the, the cactus, you and holding the cactus, isn't it? Like trying to get away from it or being angry about it or just attending to it. There's a very kind of limited range of, of like behaviors that you have in in that moment and so we can find ways like this just conceptually here with the metaphor to kind of hold out for example anxiety holding it a bit more lightly like what if this is something i don't need to clamp down around or get rid of what if it was something that you know is as a place what if that anxiety was something that's trying to keep me safe what if this anxiety was something that actually informs me about my values right you know, in that social situation, maybe this anxiety is something that tells me that being accepted by other humans in a tribe somewhere is really, really deeply important to me. And so the risk of getting rejected is like profoundly risky. 
So if we can hold it more lightly, we can kind of look at it from some different angles and maybe we could find a place where our behavior is a little bit more broad and flexible when we go to that social event. And yeah, the anxiety is still there. Maybe it hasn't changed in any way, shape or form, but most of our energy and resources are about showing up and giving ourselves opportunity to have connection to other humans rather than showing up really focused on how can we not have the thing that we've got. So that's my job at pulling in the cactus metaphor. It's yeah, no, it's perfect. So it's, it's it's the psychological flexibility that we talk about. We won't go into that because we don't have uh, any more time. But also the holding it lightly around emotions being information, not directives. Yep, absolutely. You know, emotions are data. And I think within values work, we can use emotions as, as important data sources that they can, you know, often our, our deepest pains are, are connected to real meaning in life. And often the most meaningful things that we do are connected to pain and hurt or suffering. You know, like if, if people think about their greatest achievements in life, you know, most of the time we'll find that there's pain involved with that, whether that's doing a PhD or, you know, giving birth to a child or starting my own business, you know, that big sort of things in life that feel really meaningful often come with a whole lot of discomfort attached to them. And, you know, that a willingness to kind of go through that discomfort in order to get to things that we really care about is, is, in, is to some degree enriching the, the experience, right? Like if there was no discomfort to run a marathon, it probably wouldn't be that big a deal. Like if I could just walk into the shop tomorrow and say like, yeah, I'd like to start my new, a new business, you know, here's some money and then your business is there, it probably wouldn't feel like a very big accomplishment. Yeah, so there is absolutely, yeah, there is data and information in our difficult emotions. And I think for, for people to have a good understanding of what emotions are and where they come from and what di- each of the different emotions actually do why we have them why 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 have we actually evolved to have this emotion yeah it's really tricky and it's difficult and it's painful but but we've evolved it for a reason and if we can understand that about different emotions it can be tremendously helpful because we can be much more willing to have the difficult stuff if we know where it comes from and why we have it and as you said that it is an information source it doesn't just have to be this kind of bad experience that we want to not have you know it can contain really useful you know directive sort of well, I say directive in terms of like directing us towards values and meaning, information within them. Yeah, amazing. So if people want to get started, they can, we'll put in the show notes, I'll, I'll put a link to one of the values, the um, bullseye activities, which I love to use as well. Uh, if yep. people want to find out more about you or reach out, can they get in touch? Where do you frequent? Yeah, people are welcome to get out in, uh, in touch with me. I have uh, bio on our website at active living so that's just act act being acceptance and commitment therapy act of living.com.au have a bio on there um happy to put some references into some other you know self-directed values exercises as well in the show notes perhaps yeah i can uh, do that and yeah i think this is definitely an area that people can begin to do sit down with a pen and paper and carve out some time, like really carve out some time to open up, open up and think about what could be. And if I was free to choose, which you kind of are, 
you know, if nobody else was here judging me and evaluating me about the things that I write down on this piece of paper, like if no one was there assessing me, then, you know, what would I, what would I care about? So I don't think you have to be in a therapy space to start that process. It could be something you do, but while you're on a wait list or something yeah. you do, if you're in a court and take to therapy or you do it just outside of any therapeutic intervention it could be still kind of meaningful self-directed work. Awesome. Thanks so much, Patch. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. To keep the conversation going, head on over to Instagram or LinkedIn and follow me. If you'd like to keep updated with episodes and other interesting things happening in mental health, join my weekly This Complex Life newsletter, where I'll share tools, tips and insight. There's a link in the show notes. Got a question you want answered? Shoot me an email or a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review. It helps other people find the podcast.